Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. And I created this show because I'm super passionate about humanizing the workplace and transforming leaders. I truly believe if we help leaders to be more self-aware, more emotionally intelligent and more mindful, we can really create organizations where people are happy and excited to go to work and do their best work and have a lot of meaning. And so I am also very super excited to introduce you to today's guest. I'm going to be speaking with Laura Mazzullo. And Laura is the owner of Eastside Staffing, and she specializes in the placement of experienced HR people and talent profession, talent professionals. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you, Kristen. I'm so excited to be here with you. Me too. And so Laura, some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today is, is going to be around authenticity, vulnerability, some of the stuff that people call soft that um, we're going to talk about today about the fact that it's not soft, it's actually human. And we're talking about what it looks like to humanize workplaces and bring in more humanity. So I think it's important to, to start off from, from a place of vulnerability. So Laura, when you think about what's going on right now, there's a global pandemic. It's been probably around six or seven months we've been experiencing this in North America. How has it impacted you? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Yeah, thank you for asking. And for anyone watching or listening, Kristen and I have had lots of these conversations behind closed doors. So we're so honored to do it now for all of you to hear because we talk about our feelings with each other quite a bit. Um, it has been challenging. You know, I'm a New Yorker, so I live in Manhattan, which is in normal world, pre-corona, very just vibrant and bustling and excited and there's just people interactions all the time and so for me this has been a huge adjustment I actually went back to my parents home because they live in suburbia and that's just been a really comforting shift for for now and I think for me it's just been kind of learning how to be more laid back learning how to be more relax, try not to control try not to be so type a it's very difficult when you're an overachiever I learned the phrase over-functioner in this crisis, which I love. Um, thanks. Shout out to Susie on Twitter who taught me that. You know, there's, when you want to overly do everything, right? Control, function, achieve, be ambitious. It's very difficult in a pandemic because you have to learn how to sort of let things unfold. We have no control over time. We have no control over the economy or really the flow of all of this. So it's just been a real good test for me around learning how to sort of like slow down and be comfortable with not having control. Yes. Yes. That's a big one. And, and again, Laura, you and I have talked about this um, in many conversations. And, and what are you noticing is the silver lining and slowing down? Yeah. I mean, I think there is like an opportunity to really be introspective and reflection reflective, especially as a business owner. I think it's been a great time to reevaluate my values and really come back to my why. And so I've done really great things like I've updated my website and I've launched a webinar series and I've been doing more speaking and podcasts and trying to just be creative and innovative in a time that like if I was ordinarily as busy as I as I, like if this was a year ago, I'd be too busy with recruiting to even think about other things or, you know, they always say working on the business versus working in the business. Um, I think these kinds of times let you really work on yourself, work on your business, work on your family, you know, all of those things. So I guess it is good to 
have a pause. Um, obviously, this is a little bit of a longer pause than we probably would have wanted. But yes, it's important to try and make the best of the time, the downtime. Yes. And I, I really appreciate your honesty because I think with uh, go, 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 high achievers wanting to make things happen, it can be difficult to slow down and recognizing that balance around there's a part of you that recognizes that there's a gift in being able to slow down yeah. and learn more about yourself and, and what you want and who you are. Uh, but and also recognizing there's times where it must, might feel a little bit frustrating or overwhelming or annoying. And all of those are completely fine and normal emotions to right. experience and to not judge yourself for those days where you might just be thinking, you know, I just wish this would be over and I could just hang out in New York City and be with my people and do what I used to do. It's okay to have some of those days. It's just recognizing yeah. where that's coming from and, uh, and giving yourself a lot of self-compassion and grace. Yeah. And the other phrase I've come back to a lot is unlearning, right? We're unlearning right. some of the habits that we had in the past. Not all of them were great. Like, and it's good to say, okay, what did I used to do that, of course, I miss? And then what did I used to do that maybe I won't repeat again? And that's, it's good to think about that. Yes. Yeah. I, I know for myself, since we're, we're both staying vulnerable, that um, it, could, it was a little bit different, difficult in the beginning. There was some mom guilt because I was trying to balance so many things. And I love my work. I love what I do. And there are times where I was just saying, okay, the kids, you're going to be on a little bit more technology than you would normally go on. Um, recognizing that I might have some clients who are in crisis or really struggling and going through some difficult times and that they're going to be okay. You know, if it, they were on technology all the time, every day for, <laughs> I don't know how many days, then there'd be an issue, but right. also recognizing that, that they're going to be okay. And there's this and I think even using the word balance can be difficult because balance almost feels like there's supposed to be this thing that's in this perfect balance and it's, it's not realistically going to be in a balance, but there's, there's a rhythm, there's an integration, there's a, a grace that comes with that. And I, I think it's important that um, we are continuously checking in with ourselves and doing resets and maybe that reset is happening on a daily basis, right? Asking ourselves, what do we need most today? What do, in my situation, yeah. what do my kids really need today? And sometimes that might've been, you know what? I'm noticing I don't have that many clients later in the week. I'm just going to take that day off and move people around so that I can have my mental health care day, self-care day, and then we can have some quality time together as a family as well. Yeah. I think you're the one who taught me that to put on the calendar, like take today off or don't book any calls today. And I've done that a few times now. Cause if I leave the calendar open without that reminder, I just start booking calls. Right. And then it's like, Oh, I forgot. I haven't taken a day off in three months. It's probably yes. a good idea. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think what you said is really hitting a chord about releasing guilt. And also I've been thinking a lot about releasing ego, right? So the ego in you wants to be, or potentially wants to be the perfect mother, right? Like wanting to do everything how, as, as, especially those of us who lean towards perfectionism, wanting to just do everything really, really well. But actually the ego right now just needs to take the back seat. Like we're doing the best we can and it may not look like it normally does. It's, it's, it's good enough right now. It doesn't mean it's like the best we've ever done. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Good enough. Yeah. So Laura, tell me about what you're experiencing with organizations. You've been, um, has it been 10 years now since you started your business? Seven. Yep. Seven. seven? Years. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Time flies. So in that seven years, you get to work with a lot of different HR professionals, working within organizations from a cultural perspective. What have you noticed in the last six or seven months with your work speaking with um, organizations or speaking with HR leaders? What are some of the patterns you've noticed? Yeah, it's been a difficult period for HR leaders because they're really overworked right now and they're trying, I mean, they're basically the ones leading us out of this crisis when it comes to future of work and remote work and I mean, everything we're facing is coming down to people and culture, which is their expertise. So I'm not sure I've ever seen such a high risk of burnout as I'm seeing now for their community. And I think that it's going to be challenging for them because this is sort of, and you and I have talked about this, HR pros historically aren't great at, and I say this knowing it's going to upset some of them by saying it, but I'm saying it anyway. They're not always great at advocating for themselves and they're not always great for asking for the budget that they need or for the headcount that they need or for the additional coaching, training, et cetera, that they need. And so what ends up happening is they people please themselves to the point of burnout. And I'm seeing some of that happen right now. So I'm, I'm a little concerned about, you know, what they're doing to stand up for themselves with executives so that their team doesn't risk total meltdowns. I've had a lot more tears in the last month than I would like from, from HR pros. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot, you know, and on one hand, it's, I think that people are really recognizing how much HR does in the organization and how quickly they've responded and are dealing with, with crisis and putting plans into place for, with a playbook that doesn't exist, right? So right. they're having to make things happen very quickly um, from the lens of how can we really take care of our people, um, but also recognizing that and, you know, we can talk a little bit more about this because I've experienced this. And, and, and again, we're not generalizing because I think there's some HR leaders who really understand the importance of investing in themselves, um, putting time and money in themselves, as well as, um, you know, having those difficult conversations, holding up the mirror, uh, having courageous conversations and say, hey, this is what's going on in the organization and it's not good and we need to do something about this. Uh, but what I also have noticed is, um, and I'd love to hear your take on this, um, and I see this specifically from the leadership coaching, executive coaching perspective, is that HR sometimes feels like they're so quick to um, advocate and have resources available for their people, but there's this belief that it's not as important to have it for themselves. And I don't even, maybe important is not even the word, that they don't deserve it in the same way. So for example, I remember what actually was based on a, a post you had written um, and, and speaking to a CHRO who said, yeah, I, I absolutely believe in, in investing in, in myself and investing in others. That's why I work with a coach outside of the organization you know, I don't think it'd be appropriate for me to ask for an executive coach. And it really caused me to take a, a, take a step back and pause and be incredibly curious. And, and that's the perspective I really try to take with everything. Incredibly curious. Why would you as a CHRO not be, uh, not be able to have access to an executive leadership coach, just like the rest of the senior leaders on your team? Is it because you're in HR, so you should be at a place where you're suddenly done growing and developing that it's not the organization's responsibility to, to support you in that way? So I was, I was quite surprised by it. And then I, I recognize, you know, I think that's where some of the challenge is, is that there is this story 
that they shouldn't have, for some reason, they, they're at a place or because they're all about people and development, that for some reason that they shouldn't have access to the same investments. Yeah. I mean, I come from a place of curiosity also. And so I agree with you. I think when we talk about this, some HR pros feel really defensive because they feel like maybe we're critiquing them. And I want to say, I think this comes from a place of curiosity because we want to see it improve. And so to see it improve, we actually have to first address the issues, right? We can't pretend they don't exist. So I think there's a couple of issues. There's obviously the outside factors, which everyone feels comfortable with, which is that executives historically haven't valued HR. Historically, HR was seen as a cost center, so therefore didn't have any budget whatsoever for their own team. There were always pressures on HR to be sort of the fixer, the perfect department that was formal and rigid. And so all of those come into play. But I think the part that we're not talking enough about is then what are we doing internally? Like how is an HR pro showing up? So maybe that's what's happening on the outside. But it's almost like being bullied. Like at what point do you stop the internalization of the bullying? So if that is happening on the outside, and it is, like we address that and we're all coaching executives on the other side to make sure that they value HR. What concerns me more is how HR has let that affect their own worth and their own value. And so therefore, doesn't, don't think to ask for extra budget. Don't think to ask for extra time off. Don't think to ask for extra headcount or coaching or even external recruiters. Like when they come to me, they're often like, I had to ask for months or I was scared to ask or I didn't go or I assumed they wouldn't let me. And then when I talk to an executive, sometimes like a CEO will say, of course they could have a headhunter. Of course they could have an external recruiter. They didn't come to me for whatever their story was, like you say, for whatever that's about. Um, sometimes they'll hire an external coach. I'm sure you've seen this and they'll pay out of pocket instead of letting the business pay for it, which is also sort of amazing to me considering there is budget there for them. So there's some shame there and there's definitely some, this again is an unlearning of you don't have to have all the answers. It doesn't mean you're weak if you need external help. It's, it's kind of coming, I think, from a place of humility instead of a place of having all the answers. And that's a big shift for, for the profession. Mm-hmm. And are you starting to notice some of that? I mean, I, I, my experience has been there's been a, a lot of vulnerable shares and um, so much HR pros uh, checking in. And, and sorry, I'm not going to make this just about HR. A lot of leaders, right? Just saying, hey, how are you feeling today? What's going on with you? Um, it's okay. If you're having a, a tough day, it's okay to not be okay. Do know there's supports out there. There's sorts of supports available. If anyone's feeling like they need to jump on a call just to talk about what they're experiencing, I'm here for you. I've seen a lot of those kind of conversations taking place. Um, yeah. What have you seen from your experience, Laura? Yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful thing to come out of this crisis is that I do think leaders and executives and you know, professionals at all levels are getting more comfortable bringing their humanity to the workplace and bringing their feelings and their emotions and their well-being. I, I think, as you know, and, and you and I have done so much work on this, when you are vulnerable for the first time ever at work, it, there's an awkwardness. So I think there's some of that getting ironed out for people who aren't used to these conversations. Um, and that's okay. I mean, I think it's kind of sticky and icky and uncomfortable and that's what I mean. I've had a lot of intro calls with kind of classic New York corporate people who never show 
feeling who are always rigid and then somewhere in the middle of the call they'll break down in tears and say like i'm so sorry i don't know where this is coming from and i'm like don't apologize i'm so honored that you feel safe with me to do this you have to get it out so whatever is coming up i hope people are finding an outlet professionally which is separate than therapy and separate than family i mean i do think it's important in your profession to talk about the realness of it all yes yes and speaking of realness, I'm going to be super real right now in this moment for a second and just talk, move my little dog for a second because he's snoring super loud. So give me one second because <laughs> this is real. I'm at home with my dog and my dog is snoring. Give me one second. Oh, I'm sad we've bored him to the point of sleep. Little cutie pie. He's all good now. I could just hear him snoring so loud. It was so sweet. He's having a nice dream, I think. Oh, he's probably tired too. I think animals are feeling all of this as well. I think he's tired because he is absolutely loving the fact that he's getting three or four walks a day <laughs> when true. it used to be one and, and family walks every single evening. So I, I think he's actually enjoying all of the extra attention. Sure. Um, so Laura, tell me about when you think about uh, organizations and where you would like to see them, where you'd like to see them positively shift and, or, you know, maybe they're already there and continuously to pr progress in this direction. Um, when it comes to being a human workplace, um, when you think about it from the talent management perspective, because you really coach and advise organizations. And um, what would you like to see change in organizations when it comes to recruitment and talent management? Yeah, it's such a great question because we could talk about it for days. But the first thing that came to my mind is kind of, it's a big mindset shift from what do we want and need to what do they want and need? So like for a lot of leaders, they feel like, especially if it comes to hiring, I mean, quite literally, they'll just say, okay, here, I wrote out all the things I need and want, go find it. And then I sort of challenge them with, okay, let's think about the candidate. Let's think about this ideal person you've created. What do they need and want? And often there's a disconnect, right? And we have to go back and revise and look at it. The same is true of talent management once they're working with employees in their organization. So for example, right now, a lot of companies are saying, you know, this is remote work only until the pandemic is going on. Once it ends, you'll all come back. But if you talk to employees, a lot of them want flexibility or they're liking parts of this or they're seeing their lives look a little different. Some are relocating, some are. And I, I often encourage leaders to think about what's best for their employees, not just for themselves. And that's, it's a subtle shift from what do we want to what do they want, but it really can change things so profoundly if done well. Absolutely. I think that's a really important distinction. It is about asking questions and not making assumptions. Yeah. Um, because, the you know, it reminds me that we talked about. Right. Because absolutely, because it's very easy to make assumptions. I, I remember this happening even before, but like there's been a lot of organizations who understood the benefits of remote work and have been doing this for a long time. And I think it was actually IBM that was one of the organizations that um, went this route where they decided, you know what, people want remote work. We're going to just, get, we're going to sell off our real estate and have it so that everybody can work from home. Everyone's going to be happy. And instead of piloting it <laughs> to make sure that what everybody really wants, um, they just kind of went into it full blown. And what ended up happening is a lot of people recognized that it was nice to work from home a couple of days a week, but they didn't actually like doing it all week because they started to feel quite lonely and quite removed and separated from the business. And so they were missing that sense of community. 
And right. so a lot of people were actually going to some of these um, organizations that be created for people who are going to go all work together in these um, kind of co-working spaces because they were missing so much of that community. So I think it's important to, to really ask a lot of questions and to see, um, are your assumptions right? Maybe you think it's because of this. You know, what I, I notice a lot in organizations is that there's too many band-aids going on instead of getting at the root cause. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'd love to see more customization. So it's, you know, the best hiring managers I know are the ones that are really flexible and willing to try new things out in the hiring journey, but they're even willing to say, you know, oh, we met Kristen and we really like these four skills. It doesn't seem to quite align with this role, but can we make a role for her? Can we create a position? Can we can we figure it out? Can we find some budget? Can we make it work? Like they're willing to customize something for the person they really want or the opportunity they see. And the same is true when they have employees. If the team is struggling and they're really looking at it and staying curious, can they customize a solution for that unique team? It doesn't all have to be company-wide or I think that's the part maybe that companies struggle with and I don't really know the why there, but they, it seems that customization is not as common as it mm. be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I've, I've spoken a lot about is that even from a hiring perspective that um, it, it, the, the hiring manager and HR can get very married to this is what I'm looking for. It has to be someone who was in this particular field with these particular skills and this kind of experience. Um, and they can really miss out on some incredibly diverse talents that might come from another industry, right? Maybe you're in tech and you're bringing somebody from hospitality and they've learned so much about customer experience from what they were doing in hospitality that they can now bring to tech. And there's so many transferable skills. And right. what I notice is there can be just this appetite to that's, that's quite risk adverse. Well, we just want to go with the safest bet. The people who we can check off, and this I maybe as I'm talking about this out loud right now, it's again, one of these checkbox exercises. We've seen this with organizations. Oh yes, we look at our values. Yes, yes. And then you actually would talk to somebody who works there. Oh, what are your values? I, I don't know. I'd have to go look on a piece of paper. Oh, like, would you say that these values, these behaviors are operating on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, no, not really, not at all. So right. it feels like it's the same thing where it can be this checkbox exercise that it feels like it's safest and it's the best route for the organization because you're getting somebody who has the exact same skills from another role and another company that's incredibly similar. But I actually think it's it's uh, can be quite a disadvantage and you're not going to grow and innovate and be creative and have different ways of seeing things if you're not open to bringing in people with diverse views and bring in other skill sets. And I, I honestly believe you hire more for attitude than skills. Completely agree. I mean, the best HR hiring managers I work with say things like, don't worry about industry, don't worry about years of experience. And we build out competencies. We build out exactly what we're looking for and we go for that. But it's not about where they come from. It's about their values, their skills, their experience. And we make sure that it's really data focused and not just based on gut and emotion because that brings us right back to having a very homogenous team with very like-minded people. And you know, we all know companies like that. They literally just hire from a competitor. So they've taken those ideas to the next company. It's very boring. I mean, you're not getting a lot of innovation that way. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's all kind of tying together for me what you're saying. Like this idea of being curious 
keeps you from being scared of taking risks. It's you want to be evolving. So you want to try new things. And I think if anything's coming out of the pandemic, companies should be questioning just about everything, how they hire, how they retain talent and, you know, be willing to kind of scrap what they've done in the past and try something new. It doesn't, you know, what you've always done really isn't working in 2020. So you might as well try something totally different. Absolutely. And I think where that brings me to right now, Laura, is thinking about recruitment. And I think sometimes recruiters can get a bad rap, um, just like HR can get a bad rap. Other areas of the business can get a bad rap. And I think it's because people have had very different experiences with recruiters. Uh, and I'm always quick to say in any field, you'll have ones who are amazing at it and some who aren't necessarily um, doing the best job in that role, right? You'll see that with teachers. You'll see that with accountants, with doctors. You have a whole variety of individuals who go into that profession. Um, but I'd love to hear your take when it comes to recruitment, because I'm already, as you've spoken today, I already am hearing so many differentiators around, um, you know, I, I hear when you're showing up as a recruiter, you're really showing up as a partner and an advisor and who's really wanting to dig into things um, to find that person who's going to be the right culture fit. Um, why do you think recruiters sometimes get a bad rap? Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. I, I do work as a consultant, which means that I help a company learn how to hire better. It's not just about filling the job. I really want them to feel like at the end of the process, they probably won't need me again because they've learned how to do it better and they understand really what hiring is about. Um, so I appreciate that feedback. I, I think it's hard. I mean, one of the things I work on is removing judgment in terms of good or bad because I do think it's it's tricky, right? Then you hear things like, oh, Laura, you're one of the good ones. And it's sort of, it can be not, I hear it a lot and it's sort of almost offensive to the profession as a whole. And I, I try not to do it because even in, in HR, there are, you know, there, there are all types of HR professionals and all different types of styles. And what I've learned is there, there's room for all different styles and all different approaches. And so a conservative, rigid HR leader who does everything the way they've done it for the last 10 years, there's a place for them. There's an organization that values that. I personally am probably not the right partner for someone like that. So I'm learning that it's also just a matter of what, what matches for me and what works for my style and what really feels aligned to my values. So, you know, there are recruiters out there who are very transactional, who believe in money over people, who just really want to make a fee and get on with their day, or even internally, who really are working on 30, 40 recs at a time, they want to fill it. Their bonus is impacted by the number of requisitions they fill. It's the thought of building connections or making intentional relationships is not on their radar. What I've worked on is not to judge that, but rather say, interesting. I observe that. I'm curious about that. That's really not the way I work. And I'm hopeful that HR leaders in a crisis like this are being intentional about the external partners that they choose. And so if they want to choose a transactional recruiter, they're absolutely allowed to do that. If they choose a more advisory partner like myself, where they really want that deeper service, that's their choice. I, it's hard for me because of course, like with anything, you have your opinions and you have what you think is right, but I'm really learning, gosh, like some of those recruiters get a lot of business. So there must be a reason companies still choose them. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's my long-winded answer on mm -hmm. that one. 
No, I think it's important. Um, you know, if you're from your perspective, when an organization's looking for the right person to partner with, what are some of the things that they might look for? What kind of, what are some of the questions they might ask? Yeah. So for a lot of them, it's going to, it comes to cost. And I try to remind people that it's like cost and value are two different things, right? If you're going to look for a new car, yes, you might be looking to make sure that it's not the most expensive car, but you also have to make sure it's safe, that it runs well, right? I mean, it's any purchase, like you're saying, if you want to hire an accountant or an attorney or even a hairstylist, I mean, there are cheap options and there are expensive options. The key is to also understand what you're getting for that price. So that's the number one thing. I think a lot of times it's like, oh, we went with the cheapest firm and they were awful. Well, like sometimes there is a bit of you get what you pay for. So that's the first thing is kind of grappling with that concept in your brain a little bit. I think with any purchase, you know, why are some jeans $200 and some jeans $30? I mean, every purchase in life, every, everything, right, is there are ranges. So that's the first thing to start to think about. I think the second thing is to think about really what you want your company, how you want your company to be represented because the external recruiter is really a representation of your brand. So you have to feel like the person aligns with your values, aligns with your style, that you're proud to have this person out in the marketplace as your representative. So when I'm talking to a candidate about a company, it's the first time they're hearing about that company or that role. I think that's a pretty profound responsibility that I have. So I hope companies are considering that when they're interviewing external recruiters um, and also making sure that that person really understands what your business does, what your profession does. So I only do HR recruiting. So of course I wouldn't take on a job for an accountant search, but I hope that someone looking for an accountant would think about a firm who only does accounting searches and maybe they're really specialized in that space and understand it well. So there's a lot to consider. I think it's just, you know, cost versus value, really finding somebody who's a specialist in the space and who really aligns with your company brand and your company values because they are the ambassador. Mm. And a Those bad some- candidate experience on the outside really impacts your, your employer brand on the inside. Yeah, I think you've, you've spoken to some really good points. Like anything, um, I'm, I'm a big believer in hire slowly, fire fast. And so that you aren't rushing that process. But when you start to recognize, you know, of course, <laughs> having conversations, but when you start to notice someone who really wasn't the right fit and you perhaps made a mistake, not to prolong that and to have courageous conversations and yeah. radical candor and clearest kinds are some of my philosophies. And so... Um, So I appreciate those perspectives that you offer because I think it's really, really valuable and helpful for an organization to recognize that um, they want to maybe take a couple of seconds and ask themselves those questions as well before they're going to work with an an external vendor. Um, You know, this show, Laura, is called Inspirational Leadership. And the reason I really landed on inspirational leadership is I truly believe leaders who are doing the work to show up as their best selves and doing the personal development and growth and all of that inward work, to me, that's what it means to be an inspirational leader. And so for you, Laura, when you think about, um, you you have an an opportunity to be talking to leaders a lot, all day long. And, And the ones that you notice people really thrive when they're around those leaders and get excited and and talk about them. What do you believe are some of the characteristics and behaviors uh, that make up an inspirational leader? Yeah, I love this question. 
for me, I think we hit it with curiosity. So I think there's a willingness to always be learning and evolving. And I, I, for me, that ties into humility. Um, and these are two of my core values. So I know I'm biased in saying this, but I, I do think you have to be humble to be curious. You have to be willing to question and unlearn so much of what you knew before. So you know, the best HR leaders that I talk to or leaders in general are willing to say, you know, we've done this before. I'm not sure how great we did at it. It might've worked in the past. I wanna start over. What can we do differently? Uh, I worked with a hiring manager a couple of years ago who was amazing. She was out of consulting. And so her mindset was all about curiosity and questioning. And I send all of my clients data throughout the search, you know, like usually at the end of the week, kind of an update on where we are, the challenges we're facing, the progress we're making. And she, she would call me and say, can we put things in here too around lessons we're learning, um, areas I'm improving. If you see things that are, that are coming up, like she really wanted to make sure that that I was giving her feedback on how the team was doing in terms of hiring and where they were improving and where they were still struggling. And it was so cool. I, I, you know, it's so rare, right? I guess that's why it stuck out is like, sometimes they just delete the data or they don't care. They just want the job filled. Usually not people who partner with me, they like the data, but truly it's hard for people to process it and internalize it and digest it. So the good leaders are willing to say, or leaders I admire are willing to say, I'm learning. I'm so excited by what I'm learning, even if it's something like hiring. It's a skill and all skills evolve. And so there's a willingness to, to, to learn something. And I think especially when we talk about diversity and inclusion and we're, we're unlearning a lot to do that, you've got to stay curious around, oh gosh, maybe I did have a bias there before, or maybe I can work on that, or I didn't even realize that and try to release the judgment, just get to a place of excitement around the new knowledge, the new information. Mm. It's, it's a profound shift to say, yeah, I used to do that. I'm glad I'm trying something new and not stay in the, oh, I can't believe I used to do that. I'm the worst. I'm, you know, right. it's yes. like, it's exciting to be evolving. Yes. That's such a huge part of emotional intelligence because part of that is our self-talk, right? So if right. we're being super hard on ourselves, not being kind. Um, I, I, and I have seen that a lot with, um, with HR specifically, because I think a lot of people go into that field because they naturally have more compassion and empathy. And so they'll have so much kindness for others. Um, but then the kindness for themselves is not necessarily there. I say to them, when I hear some of the self-talk, uh, would you talk to a friend the way you're speaking to yourself right. right now? And they say, absolutely not. And I said, yeah, I think you probably have no friends. Like, yeah. um, so it's just being aware that they can have a, their self-regard is, is not necessarily where it can be at yeah. and to start speaking to themselves a lot more compassionately and it can really create some powerful transformation um, when we shift that self-talk. And yeah. I, I like what you said there around humility as well, because um, to me, humility is very counter to um, leading and operating through ego. Yes. And so through ego, it's always the, the, when you're operating from that place, it always has to feel like there's somebody that's right and somebody else who's yes. not. And so then exactly. there's always, right. So there's always a winner and a loser. And it's like, oh my gosh, imagine how nice it would feel if you could go through the world where it's more of a collaborative, a, a, a collaborative effort. You can yeah. both win. There is no 
there is no, uh, you know, my way or, or your way. And, and to recognize, oh, there, there's probably multiple ways of doing this. And, oh, I'm always seeing things through my perspective, through my lens, through all of the experience that I've had from this day and since the day I was born. And so I think that humility, I agree with you. I think it's such a huge part of leadership because um, when people show up with that humility, there's just naturally more vulnerability and transparency that shows up. And people are so attracted to that because now they're seeing every day, oh, that's what it looks like to be a leader. So I can be like that as well. It deepens connections. Yeah, you hit something there with the right or wrong. That's how I've been feeling lately about the good or bad. It's like maybe there's not good HR, bad HR, good recruiters, bad bad recruiters. Maybe there's this like idea of learning instead and difference in approach and difference in style. And so it's important for leaders at, at any role, at any level to think about who they are and how they want to show up. If they want to show up with ego and with arrogance and with rigidity, they are more than welcome to, and there is room for them. Unfortunately, there's plenty of organizations who value that. But if they really want to make a shift to humility and curiosity and more of that human empathy, there's room for that too. It just takes a little bit more work and maybe some unlearning. Um, The other thing I would say, because this comes up a lot for HR pros, is this kind of like, like you're saying, the shame and guilt around mistakes they've made or how they're evolving. They're kind of stuck on gosh, I can't believe I used to do that or did that. I try to remind them too, there's a lot of societal conditioning coming our way as women, as HR professionals, as recruiters around, like you're saying, this bad reputation we hear and and some of the just, all the messaging, right, that we've heard. And so, yes, we can blame the outside a little bit and that kind of helps just take some of the weight off our shoulders. Like, oh, no wonder I feel that way. I've been conditioned to feel that way or that's the norm. But then to take some accountability and responsibility and say, okay, so the story I'm telling myself to use Brene's famous line is, you know, HR pros never get a budget because leaders never give us any money and we're not worthy of learning because we're supposed to have all the answers and we're supposed to be perfect. Like, okay, sure. Yes, that's some societal conditioning. And then what? Like, what are we doing with that information? Are we challenging that or are we just kind of accepting that in defeat? I mean, I think we can challenge it. Huge. I mean, usually what's happening on a daily basis over and over again, and we have 60,000, 50 to 60,000 thoughts a day are just thoughts. And so many of the thoughts, if we don't challenge them, they're not true, right? We're operating as if the thoughts are true, but they're not. So it's constantly challenging. Like, is that true? Where's that story coming from? Do I need to believe that? Oh, actually, I don't believe that at all. I I actually think that that's not a story that I've actually believe in at all, right? So unless we're witnessing and becoming aware of the thoughts, um, that they can just be operating in the background unconsciously and impacting our behavior and our actions. Yeah. And I remind HR pros to talk about these feelings with a peer, like, like you and I do with each other, because we're all human and we all have these feelings. If there's something that comes up for you, like being able to say to a friend, like, Hey, have you ever felt like we can't ask for budget in HR. Like, how have you handled that? You'd be amazed that your peer will say, oh, of course, I have that thought all the time. Here's how I've worked through it. Or Mm -hmm. gosh, I haven't worked through it yet. Let's work through it together. Like the more we normalize these feelings and thoughts as real and common, I think we're going to get through it as a team better. Um, These aren't things that we're supposed to be attacking alone. 
You know, this right. is the evolution of work. It's going to take some, some collaboration here. Yes. Yes. Having that community. And I think that's speaking to the vulnerability as well, right? To be honest and say, have you experienced this? And then other, the peer beside you is thinking a hundred percent I've experienced that. But sometimes until that one person brings it up, um, they're not talking about it, right? It's, exactly. it's like the elephant in the room. Everyone's thinking it, everyone's feeling it, but they're not actually expressing it. And so um, sometimes it is taking that vulnerable step forward and expressing something. And guess what? You have a whole community that has experienced the same thing. So you're not alone. It's, it's yeah. reminding people that they're not alone. Um, it's so true. And it's really like, we have to start talking about it. We have to start saying things like, this is uncomfortable for me. This makes me a little nervous to say, I don't quite know how to word this, whatever, just get it out with a, with a person or a peer that you trust. You can't really evolve if you aren't engaging. I, well, I don't know, maybe it's the extrovert in me, but I, I heal through talking it out with someone else. I mean, I don't think you can do it all by yourself in your own head. It's- well, and I think what you're speaking to is really important because I think introverts tend to be more comfortable one-on-one. They aren't necessarily as comfortable in the group. So yeah. being able to have that one-on-one conversation is a safe space where they are, are comfortable sharing. Um, so Laura, before I get to your final thought, because I always like to give my guests an opportunity to leave our guests with a, a final thought, I would just like to hear from you because we're talking a lot about vulnerability and you're a leader. And as leaders, we're constantly growing. What's an area that you have identified that you know that you want to continue to grow uh, and develop that skill as a leader? Yeah, I think negotiation is the first one that comes to my mind. I think as as a woman and as a, a small business owner, there is sometimes a desire for me to people please and to make the other party happy. And I actually have learned a lot, frankly, from a lot of men in my network who are entrepreneurs or recruiters. Um, I just tweeted about this this morning, so it's funny that you're asking me. I didn't know she was going to ask me this one. Um, <laughs> I used to hear like, oh, we don't have a budget for you. We can't afford you. And I would start to panic and maybe think about reducing my fees and kind of just just freak out trying to please them, right? And it was men in my network who said to me, you know, they probably do have more money in their budget. They're just kind of negotiating. They're, you know, they're just being hard, but you can stand in your worthiness and you can ask for what you're worth. And when I learned that, it changed so much for me, even how I negotiated for candidates. Like, mm. I, they are worth what they're asking for. I'm worth what I'm asking for. And so it does sometimes get uncomfortable to push for it. And, but it's, it's a lesson I'm still working on, but now I think I'm much better at it. And I've realized how powerful it is because when we support each other in this way, we really do lift all of us up. And, and I've been lucky to have a lot of clients who have said to me, you know, you're undercharging, go ahead and send me another invoice who have been able to help me come out of that uncomfortable part. Um, and so I think there's, there's power in women supporting women, women. I think there's power in small business owners supporting each other. And I would just say to anyone who's launching a business or who has launched a business, like really stand in your worthiness and try to, that's why, again, we have each other to talk to, but really remind yourself that you're worth what you're charging, even if they're trying to make you feel bad about it. Um, and this goes even if you're in-house and you're asking for that budget and they're starting to give you some, some challenging words back. You know, you can stand in it. Just not, you don't have to back down. Mm, such an important discussion. And there's a great book I'm actually reading right now um, called Asking for More. 
um, amazing talking all about negotiating and specifically it's um, that she's, I'm, I'm not sure if she's actually, she might be in New York. Um, I'm, I'm trying it. to remember which school she's a professor at as well, but she talked about when she was going to law school, um, what worked really well for her is she did mediation first and then law school, which helped her have a different lens in the way she sees negotiation. And she uses some beautiful analogies to like a kayak and that you want to steer the negotiation and how to go about steering it and how you're very intentional ahead of time. Some really, really good insight in it. I'm only halfway through the book. I'll make sure to share it with you, Laura, and I will also share, I share it in the show notes. You might have to mail it to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll share it with everyone in the show notes. And so Laura, final thought for you, what would you like to leave with our audience? I would say, you know, remind yourself you are surviving a pandemic. It is not a small feat. I think that sometimes we undermine the gravity of it when we're trying to cope, but it's a big deal. This is a very historical uh, moment in all of our lives. So be kind to yourself, ask for help where you need it. Try and make a peer or two in your network that you can talk to professionally um, and keep trying to help other people rise, whether it's employees in your organization or small business owners or peers or family members or whomever. Let's try and lift each other. I think that's how we're going to all stay afloat through this. And we're going to be more inspired and more intentional when we really kind of keep pushing each other and advocating for each other. Mm, beautiful final thoughts. I'm such a believer in um, rising. We're all here to rise each other. Um, so as we finish off the show, I hope everyone has a wonderful day, whether this is morning or evening, wherever you're listening to this. And I would love if you enjoyed the podcast to go and do a rating or review. I'm on all podcast channels, iTunes, and you can also go to my website, kristenharcourt.com. Laura, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And I'm so excited to keep talking with you and to our community. And everyone knows where to find us online. So don't be a stranger. Let's keep the conversations going. Yes, I will include all of Laura's details in the show notes. But do you want to just quickly let everyone know best place to find you, Laura? Yeah, I mean, I'm Laura Mazzullo on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me there. And then Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Eastside Staff. So you'll see me there. And don't be a stranger. I look forward to meeting all of you. And Kristen, you have a great rest of your week too. Thank you. Amazing. Bye everyone. Bye.